ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. As we head towards summer, it appears almost inevitable that the lights will go out for some of us. The energy market operator is predicting rolling blackouts in some parts of the country because governments have failed to replace ageing coal plants with renewable power fast enough and they simply can't cope with demand. Today, energy expert at the Grattan Institute, Alison Reeve, on how our switch to solar and wind isn't going to plan and why we now have to rely on coal for longer. Alison, let's talk about the potential for blackouts in a moment. But first, I want to have a look at Araring, which is the biggest power plant in the country. It's been around for a long time, hasn't it? Since 1984. (laughs) It It is getting on a bit. The power station takes its name from nearby Lake Araring. It's Australia's biggest, capable of producing more than 2,600 megawatts. Araring is about 20% of New South Wales' electricity. The company that owns it, Origin, was originally planning to close the power station Mm. at the end of its technical life. That would have been 2032. In February last year, they announced they'd bring that date forward to 2025, and that was because the power station wasn't competitive with wind and solar and gas generation. The amount of renewables that has come into the market, which I think has caught all of us by surprise at that speed, has uh, has made the viability of coal-fired power stations quite challenging. So that's led us to the decision to provide the three and a half uh, years' notice of a proposed exit. But since that decision was made, the pace at which we've been building renewables and transmission lines to replace Araring has slowed down. And so mm-hmm. there's been concerns emerging about whether the electricity system would still be reliable if it closed as planned in 2025. So the Labor government in New South Wales and the Energy Minister Penny Sharp are trying to extend Araring's life. Yes. So when they came into office earlier this year, they commissioned a report into the health of the energy system and they got that report last week that recommended the New South Wales government should engage with Origin and negotiate a temporary extension. We can't simply have coal-fired power come offline if there's nothing to replace it. It's why the race is on. It's why the renewable energy zones are so important. It's why the various plans that we're now beginning to roll out need to be done as quickly as possible. But the thing that the report said was that you should do this in the context of having a more managed exit policy for future closures. Up until now, mm-hmm. closures of coal-fired power stations have just been left to the owners. There is a requirement that you have to give a certain amount of notice, but that's pretty much it. And so what this report said was, well, that isn't really working out very well and we probably need to do something that's a bit more managed. And does it really make sense to extend the life of Araring while we're undergoing this transition to renewable energy? It's difficult to see what else that they could do. The reason that they're in this position of having to consider it is because they've been trying to build a lot of infrastructure in a very short time, Mm -hmm. which means that things are costing more and inflation doesn't help with that either. There's a shortage of skilled workers. 
There are engineering challenges that they keep meeting and there are holdups in planning approvals. I guess the way to think about this is that the New South Wales government needs to buy some insurance against the lights going out. And the Mm. thing that is hard about buying insurance is to figure out how much you should buy Mm. and how much you should pay for that. And Penny Sharp, she points out that this is a massive job, a huge transition. We're essentially asking to do the industrial revolution in about 15 years. The retirement of coal fire power in the state that has 70%, where 70% of our power relies upon it is not an easy thing to do. All right, well, let's talk a bit more, Alison, about the lights going out in a moment because that's the bottom line is we don't want that to happen, I suppose. But just tell me, why is it that we can't actually meet these deadlines that we set? What is going so wrong? I think the thing is that we spend a lot of time dilly-dallying and not building fast enough, Mm -hmm. not building ahead. And then the other thing is that we now have more ambitious targets, both at state level and at federal level, which means that a lot of the building that we would have been doing in the 2030s has now been brought forward into the 2020s. And the thing is, you know, ultimately what these projects are like is they're like any construction or building project, whether that is an airport or your kitchen renovation or whatever, they always tend to run over time and over budget. And that is just what is happening. And that was not anticipated, which is not unusual for infrastructure projects. You know, we always announce that they're going to be done by a certain time and that never turns out to be the case. So it's really just the whole thing of trying to do a lot of stuff quickly And then I think particularly at the moment, you've got a little bit of extra problems there with the fact that supply chains got disrupted by COVID. Worldwide, the cost of renewable energy projects has been going up because of Europe shifting away from using gas, which is a response to the war in Ukraine. So that's pushed up the cost of everything. Rising interest rates everywhere has pushed up the cost of capital for everybody. Mm -hmm. And inflation is not helping either. Mm, It's frustrating, isn't it? Because we have so much solar and so much wind in this country and we just want to use it. Mm. Let's return to that point of keeping the lights on because while we're facing all these problems as we try and wean ourselves off coal-fired power, we've already faced problems, haven't we, with keeping the lights on? We saw that last year. With the temperature falling, households are again being warned of a possible shortfall of energy as they try to keep warm. We've got enough reserve capacity at the moment, but obviously there's, uh, you know, there is uh, not a lot of slack in the system. Just remind me what happened then. So last autumn was colder and rainier than usual and winter started earlier than it usually does. And what that meant was that renewable generation was lower than usual and we were using more coal and gas for the electricity system than we usually would. Because of that, the coal and gas generators had to go and buy extra fuel. And because of the war in Ukraine, the price at which they bought it was very high. Now, what happened was that some generators made the decision to stop operating because they couldn't make a profit. Mm -hmm. And so some of them started saying, well, I'm sorry, we're just going to withdraw from the market. The energy market operator stepped in and suspended the market. The spot market was suspended last week after spiralling prices and generators withdrawing their services. It's kind of like putting it into manual. Mm -hmm. And what we did for a couple of weeks was that the energy market operator just directed those generators to run 
when they were needed and there was a process of compensating them for the fuel later on. Now, that eventually settled the market and brought it back into balance and into the point where the coal and gas generators weren't losing money by running. The other thing that governments did as well was they put caps on the price of uh, coal and gas so that the same problem couldn't happen again. Although now, of course, there are more warnings from AEMO, the energy market operator, about power shortages, even blackouts this summer. Yes. I mean, this is a a hot summer problem rather than a cold winter problem. Yes. There's likely to be what they call a reliability gap, but which is what Mm -hmm. you and I would call a risk of a blackout. Yes. So... The warning that they've issued this time is that there's potentially a reliability gap in Victoria this summer. So at times of maximum demand, so the hot summer days when we all have the aircon on, there's a 13% chance of what they call unserved energy. It's a way of saying a brownout or a blackout for longer than eight minutes. Now, 13% sounds really low, but that's the average across the whole system. Mm -hmm. So If I have a blackout all afternoon and you don't, we might still be underneath that threshold, but it's very inconvenient for me, right? Yes, yes. And it also matters when it happens. You know, you might not mind a blackout for eight minutes in the middle of the night, but you'd really be annoyed if it happened in the last set of the Australian Open final. Yes. There's a sort of a thing here that's about the probability of it happening, but also how long it lasts and how many people are affected. The figures you provided were for Victoria, but is it similar across the eastern states? In the eastern states, I think South Australia also had a chance of blackouts this summer. In New South Wales, it doesn't emerge until a little bit later, and that is much more linked to the closure of Araring. So, Alison, there are some serious challenges in transitioning away from coal. When the Albanese government was elected, it promised to increase the share of renewables in our grid to 82% by 2030. Is there any way, really, it can meet that now? This was always going to be a really, really challenging target, and it's not looking good. And that sort of comes back to those problems that I was talking about before. The other thing that we haven't talked much about is the approvals process. Mm -hmm. If you want to build a wind farm, you need to get approval to build the wind farm itself, but then you also have to sometimes straighten and upgrade access roads or even build access roads to be able to bring the turbines and the blades in. The state government plans to build a super hub in the northwest, but infrastructure and services in the region could hold the project back. All of those need local council approvals. Then you do the construction. Then you need a transmission line to connect to. And if that transmission line has to be built, then it has to go through a whole approval process as well. And then finally, you need permission from the market operator to actually connect to that transmission line and turn on. And these approval processes are actually acting as a bit of a bottleneck at the moment as well. And particularly at the local government Mm -hmm. level, some local governments are getting a little overwhelmed because there's a lot of activity going on in their area and they simply just don't have the people and the capacity to push the approvals through quickly. So, Alison, pretty complicated. Is there anything we can do to actually fasten things up a bit? Oh, gee. <laughs> there's not a silver bullet answer here. In some ways, things are going to take as long as they take. I think certainly as with everything in construction and with mega projects in particular, 
getting better at planning and costing them ahead of time would be a smart thing to do. You know, the more time you spend on the drawing board, the less time you actually spend during Mm. construction and the better chance you have of keeping your costs under control. And Alison, bottom line, what does this mean for our power bills? So none of this is impacting on bills at the moment. The the price rises that people have seen this year were actually driven by the events that happened last winter around high coal and gas prices. Looking forward though, the more disorderly and disrupted that this transition is, the higher people's bills will be. Mm. So the more that governments can work together to improve the coordination of how they get all this stuff built, the less it will end up costing everybody. Alison Reeve is the Climate Change and Energy Deputy Program Director at the Grattan Institute. The New South Wales government hasn't said how much longer it will keep the Araring power station open or how much it would cost. The total cost of the largest renewable energy project in Australia, Snowy Hydro 2.0, has blown out to $12 billion. The market operator doesn't expect it to be delivering power until 2027 at the earliest. This episode was produced by Nell Whitehead, Bridget Fitzgerald and Anna John, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is David Cody. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on the ABC Listen app. Thanks for listening.